Section twenty eight of the McDermott's of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The McDermott's of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section twenty eight. The Coroner's Inquest. Chapter twenty one. The Coroner's Inquest. During the short time that elapsed between the heavy blow which had occasioned Usher's death and the departure of Pat Brady with the gig, a great many thoughts had passed through Thaddy's mind, although he had been in action the whole time. His first idea had certainly been that Usher was carrying off Feemy against her will. The last words which Usher had spoken before his death, and which were the only words of his that Thaddy had heard, "'This is damned nonsense. You know you must come now.' certainly were calculated to make him think so but he soon reflected that had this been so feemy could not have been sitting alone in the place where usher found her besides her own conduct when she came to herself disproved it feemy had therefore evidently been a consenting party still however he thought that he could not but be justified in doing what he had done in his sister's defence even though his interference was in opposition to her wishes then he thought of the man himself whom he had known so long seen so frequently and hated so bitterly there he was now dead a cold corpse entirely harmless and unable to injure him or his more but that he already felt his enemy's blood heavy on his conscience and he would have died himself to see him rise on his feet thoughts as to his own safety crowded on his mind he felt that if he intended boldly to justify the deed he should himself declare what he had done, see that the body was properly taken care of, and give himself up at once to the police. As to the fact of his having killed the man, that he had declared to his sister before he had at all thought what his conduct ought to be, and he had done the same to Brady, it was useless for him, therefore, to attempt to conceal it, even if he had wished to do so, but he felt afraid to give himself up to the police. He abhorred the idea of what he thought would be the disgrace of being in confinement, and instead of going, as he had at first thought to have done, at once to Father John and telling him all that had happened, he listened to Brady's treacherous advice, and determined to take himself at any rate for a time to the fancied security of Joe Reynolds and his haunts. After Brady had departed, he stood on the road till he could hear no longer the sound of the retreating wheels and while standing there determined he would not leave the place for the last time perhaps till he had told his father what had happened and ascertained whether feemy had recovered he reflected that it would be a dreadful thing for her to tell her father and the servants and to be called on to explain why her brother was away having made this resolution he walked again up to the house he pushed the door open and at once went to his sister's room here she was still lying on the sofa and catty was sitting beside her begging her mistress to tell her what was the matter. But Feemy had not spoken since she had been there. She had recovered her senses, for she held her hands before her eyes, and the tears were falling fast beneath them. But she had not spoken a word to Catty since her brother had placed her on the sofa. When he entered the room, she uncovered her eyes for a moment, but as soon as she saw him she buried her face in the pillow, and it was plain from her sobbing that she was crying more violently than before. Thaddy walked up to the sofa, and as he did so, the girl got up. "'Go out, Catty,' said he. "'I want to spake a word to your mistress. But be in the kitchen. I'll call you when I've done.' She retreated, not, however, farther than the door, which she closed, and left the brother and sister together. The last time they had been so in the room, 
the last time the two had conversed alone together before was when thady cautioned his sister against the man he had just now killed he thought of this but he was too generous to let the reflection dwell on his mind at such a moment feemy he said as he attempted to take his sister's hand which however she violently drew back from him feemy i'm going to have to go for a long time and i must speak with you first perhaps the last words i'll ever be able to say to you at all feemy darling won't you listen to me then eh feemy feemy however only buried her head further in the sofa and did not answer him a word i must speak a word to you continued thady about him that is now him that was with you on the avenue i told you feemy he was dead and what i told you then was only too true god knows when i struck him i did not wish for that but how was i to see him with you in his arms carrying you off through the dark night and from your own house without raising my stick to strike him i don't say this to be blaming you now and i don't ask you to tell me why you were there but you must know dearest that it was for your sake i raised my hand and though the blow i struck has killed him you loved you shouldn't now at such a moment turn from your brother who has brought all this upon himself only to protect your honour and your name still feemy did not turn her face towards him or answer him well i know what's on your heart and maybe it's as heavy as that which is weighing on my own i must say a word or two to the old man that he may not learn from strangers what it is that his son has done and then i must wish good-bye to ballycloran i must forever but there's one thing i'll ask you feemy before i go there'll be men from carrick here before the night is over looking for me and when they come they'll be asking you all manner of questions about this deed tell them it was i that did it but tell them how and why i did it tell them that it was not by purpose to kill the man but that i could not see him dragging my sister from her house before my eyes without raising my stick against the man that was doing it that feemy is all i want of you and he turned to go but when he reached the door he returned and putting his hand on his sister's shoulder said sister my own sister will you kiss me before i leave you for so long feemy shuddered horribly as she felt his hand upon her thady quickly withdrew it for he saw it was all covered with blood feemy however had seen it for she screamed loudly she had raised her head to answer and at last she said kiss you no i hate you you're a murderer you've murdered him because you knew i loved him go away go out of that you'll kill me too if you stand there with his blood upon your hand thady who had fallen on his knees to kiss his sister now hastily jumped upon his feet and a dark frown came upon his brow it was just upon his lips to tell his sister to whose folly it was owing that miles usher was now a corpse but before the words had left his mouth he checked himself even then at that saddest moment of all when the horrid word he so dreaded had been applied to him by the only person whom he really loved he was able to restrain his passion and was too high-minded to add to the suffering of his sister though she was so unjust and cruel to him god forgive you feemy he said but that's a cruel word to come from you and he left the room he met the two girls in the passage for biddy had returned from mrs mahan's whither she had gone after usher had passed and she was now horrified to find that her mistress's plans had been as she thought defeated by her brother and her departure prevented good god mr thady said she with pretended astonishment what ails the mistress then go into her biddy she'll want you captain usher is dead and he went into his father's room here a still more distressing scene awaited him 
he felt that if he meant to escape he should not lose much time but he could not leave his father in ignorance of what had taken place larry was sitting as usual over the fire with his pipe in his mouth and was nearly asleep when thady came in the noise of the closing door roused him however and he only put his empty glass to his lips and when he found there was nothing in it turned round again dissatisfied to the fire larry said his son i've bad news for you you've always bad news i never knew you to have anything else i'm going to leave you father altogether faith then that's not such bad news said the cross old man the door's open and you have my leave maybe we'll do as well without you as we're like to do with you thady made no answer to this piece of silly ill-natured but continued larry you'll be sorry to hear what i've to tell you but i'd sooner you should hear it from me than from another miles usher is dead it was i father that killed him at the first declaration the old man had turned round in his chair and he sat staring at his son but when he heard the second and more dreadful part of the story his jaw dropped and he sat for some time the picture of an idiot he was bringing disgrace on you larry and on your name he was disgracing your family and your daughter and myself he was dragging feemy away with him by night i saw him with her speechless and fainting in his arms and i struck him down as he was doing it with my stick i didn't think father to strike so hard but his skull was broken and he died without a struggle the old man still stared at him and thady continued and now father i'm going to leave you for if i'm found here when they come to look for me they'll take me to prison and maybe when they come to hear the truth of it all and i suppose they will they'll see i didn't mean to kill him but if they call it murder why then i trust you'll never see me again murder at last said the old man laughing who doubts but that it was murder of course they'll call it murder well he was the only friend you'd left me and now that you've murdered him you may go now you may go now but mind i tell you they'll be sure to hang you this was old macdermot's last address to his son it was very evident that the poor old man had gradually become more and more imbecile during the last few days and the suddenness of the melancholy news he now heard utterly destroyed his mind each however of the dreadful words he uttered fell with an awful appearance of intention and sane purpose on the ears of his son he had hitherto restrained his feelings powerfully and had shown no outward sign of strong emotion but when his father said that there was no doubt the deed he'd done was murder he burst into a flood of tears and left the room without being able to articulate a word when the police came which they did before the night was over in search of thady they were unable to make anything of the old man at first he took them for emissaries of keegan's and swore that they should not have admittance to his house and when they were in it he endeavoured to hide himself declaring at the same time that he understood the law and that the money was not due until november and that keegan had no right to send the men there harassing him when however he was made to understand that it was not about keegan and the rents but about the death of usher that they had come he whimpered and whined declaring that he had not murdered him that he loved usher better than any one in the world yes better than his own children and that for the world he wouldn't hurt him when at length the men explained to him that they were only there to look for thady he was worse than ever for he began cursing his son dreadfully swearing that if he had committed the murder he would neither hide nor screen him and finally declaring that he hoped they might catch him and hang him 
The next morning he was taken away to give evidence before the coroner at Carrick-on-Shannon. It was the first day since the summer that he had been above a few yards from his own hall door, and though the day was fine he suffered much from the cold. When he got to his destination he could hardly speak. The room was greatly crowded, for the whole neighbourhood had by that time heard of the event, and when the poor old man had warmed himself by the fire, near which a seat had been procured for him, he smiled and nodded to those around, perfectly unconscious of the cause which had brought him there, but evidently thinking it must be a holiday occasion. Brady had stated to the coroner pretty accurately what he knew, for there was nothing which it could have benefited him to falsify. The two girls proved that after Brady had started with the body, Thaddy had interviews with his sister and his father, and it was necessary that both of them should be examined. When the book on which he was to be sworn was handed to Larry McDermott, he at first refused it, and when it was again tendered to him, he put it in his pocket, and made the man who gave it to him a bow. The coroner, seeing he was in such a state of mind as rendered him unable to give evidence, and unfit to be sworn, asked him some questions on the subject, but Larry instantly began to cry and protest his own innocence, swearing, as he had done before, that he had loved Usher better even than his own family. It was a most melancholy sight, that poor weak old man, whom so many of those now present had known so long, and who so very few years before had been in full strength of manhood and health, for even now he was hardly more than fifty. But sad as all this was, the examination of Feemy was still worse, as she had been actually present at the moment when Usher had been killed. It was absolutely necessary that her evidence should be taken by the coroner, and the sergeant of police, who came with a car from Carrick for them in the morning, insisted, in spite of all that she and the maids could say to the contrary, that she must accompany him back. She had got on the same car with her father. Biddy and the other girls were on the same seat with her, one on each side, but before they reached Drumsna she was in such a state that they could hardly keep her on the seat. When they reached that village the car stopped by Father John. He had heard of the sad occurrence late on the previous evening, for Pat Brady has spared no exertion in disseminating the news of the catastrophe far and wide as he returned from Carrick. He had stopped at the priest's gate, and finding Father John absent on a sick visit, had nearly frightened Judy out of her life by telling her what had happened. Father John had not returned home till two in the morning, and he then heard some garbled version of the story, from which he was led to believe that Thaddy was in custody at Carrick for the murder of Usher. Early on the morning of the inquest, he went into Carrick, and there learned from the police the truth, and ascertained the fact that an inquest was held on the body that day, and that both old McDermott and his daughter were to be examined. Up to this time Father John did not know that Feemy had left Drumsna, and though the police informed him that she had been absolutely present when the fatal blow was struck, he could not believe it, and hurried off to Mrs. McCain's to tell her all that he knew, and learn from her all that she could tell him. The kind-hearted man hardly knew what he was doing, so shocked was he, and surprised by what he had heard. He could hardly believe that after what Thaddy had said to him, after the promises he had made, he would deliberately and with premeditation plan and execute Usher's murder. Such an idea was incompatible with the knowledge that he had of Thaddy's disposition, and he concluded that there must have been some quarrel between the two men in which Usher had fallen the victim. He little dreamt when he started for Mrs. McCann's how much more justly the blood which had been shed 
was to be attributed to the sister than to the brother, or he would hardly dared again to solicit her kind offices for his protégé. When he got to Drumsna, the McCayans were only just rising from breakfast, but Father John saw on entering the room from their grave and anxious faces that they had all heard the news. Tony had been out to his fields before breakfast, and had there been told by one of the men that Usher's body had, on the previous night, been taken through Dumsna to the police station at Carrick, and that it was said that Thady McDermott, the murderer, had already escaped out of the country. This tale Tony had communicated in a whisper to his wife, and she had afterwards told the girls. What was the good of keeping it secret? Before the evening it would be known to the whole country. When Father John came in, they all crowded round him to learn what really might be relied on as truth of the case. But he could only tell them that it was too sure that Usher had died by Thaddy's hand, that the young man was not in custody, and that he had been informed that Feemy herself was present when the blow had been struck. Feemy and their poor father, added Father John, are to be examined today before the coroner. It will be a dreadful thing for her poor girl to be forced to tell all her secrets, to declare all that she would most wish to conceal before the mob that will be in the room at Carrick. Yes, added Tony, and to stand there without any one to support her, and to be asked questions, which, if they're answered correctly, maybe will hang her brother. I'll never believe, said Father John, that he killed him in cold blood. Yourself, Mrs. McCann, hasn't a kinder heart within you than that young man. He never would have committed a willful premeditated murder. I don't think yet it will come to be so bad as what McCann says. But when did Feemy leave this? I thought she was here and was to stay here for some time to come. Mrs. McCann then explained how Feemy had insisted on returning home the morning after the ball, with the promise of returning again. After talking over the various unaccountable circumstances of the case, without once suspecting that Feemy had consented to, and had actually been in the act of going off with Usher, Mrs. McCann agreed, at the instigation of her husband and the priest, to accompany Feemy to the inquest, and after it was over to bring her to her own house, and to allow her to remain there till something should be definitely arranged as to her future residence. For, said Tony, Ballycloran will be no place for her again, nor the county either, for that matter. But now that she's unhappy, she shan't want a roof over her head. We were glad enough to see her when she held her head high, and I wouldn't advise any one to say much against her now that she's in trouble, unless he wished to quarrel with me. And Tony McCann closed his fist, as much as to show that if any one did entertain so preposterous a wish, he could be little better than a born idiot. Tony then sent a message into Carrick for a post-chaise, that Feemy might not be exposed to the curiosity of everyone in the street by sitting on an outside vehicle. And when she arrived in Drumsna from Ballycloran, she was taken off the car on which her father was sitting, and brought into Mrs. McCain's house. She would not, however, speak to anyone, and could hardly sit on a chair without being supported. She squeezed, however, her kind friend's hand, when she promised to go to the inquest with her, and seemed grateful when she was told that she should not return to Ballycloran, but should again occupy her old quarters at Drumsna. At length they got into the hack chaise, and were driven into the yard of the hotel, where the inquest was to be held. This was the same house in which McCann and his party had dined on the evening before the races, and there the cold stiff body of the man was lying on the same table round which he and so many others were carousing but a few hours since. There he lay, 
at least all the mortal remains of him, who was then so joyous, so reckless, and so triumphant, in the very room in which he had boasted, in his willful wickedness, of the sad tragedy he was intending to inflict on those who had been so friendly to him at Ballycloran, and of which he was now himself the first victim. The table on which he was laid out had been hastily removed for the dance, and it had now been hastily replaced for its present purpose. The laurel wreaths with which the wall had been decorated were yet remaining, and when the coroner entered the room his foot slipped on a faded flower, which some wearied beauty had dropped when leaving it on the previous morning. Little more than four-and-twenty hours had elapsed since the fiddles were playing there, and some of those who were now summoned upon their oaths to decide in what manner Usher had met his death had on that morning been nearly the last to leave the room in which they were now to exercise so different a vocation. Biddy and Catty were first examined, and it was from the evidence of the former that Father John first heard that Feemy had agreed to elope with Usher, and it appeared from what the girl said that her mistress was to have left the house some time previous to the time at which the other girl proved that she had been brought back by her brother. This added greatly to the sorrow, but at the same time he now instantly perceived under what provocation Thady had struck the fatal blow. Brady proved that his master had confessed to him that it was he who killed Usher, and that he had said that when he did so his sister was in Usher's arms. The stick was then brought forward, which was proved to be the one carried by Thady, and the blood upon the stick and the nature of the wound upon the dead man's head left no doubt that this was the weapon with which he had been killed. The father was then brought in, and we have already seen the manner in which he conducted himself. It was now necessary to examine Feemy, and at last she came in, almost carried in Mrs. McCain's arms, with a thick veil over her face, which, however well it hid her countenance, by no means rendered her sobs inaudible. Two chairs were placed for them by the table, and when they were both seated the book was handed to Feemy. Then she had to take her glove from her right hand, and this was so wetted with her tears, and she herself was so weak, that it was long before she could get it off, and when she had taken the oath, when she had sworn to tell not only the truth but the whole truth, she found it impossible to speak a word, and the coroner was obliged to ask her questions, to which Mrs. McCain was allowed to get answers, spoken below her breath and in whispers. Did she know Captain Usher was dead? She did. Did she know that it was her brother who had killed him? Was it her brother Thady? Yes, it was. How did she know it was he who had done it? Did she see him do it? No, she didn't see him. How, then, did she know it? He told her afterwards. Could she say how he killed him? No, she could not. Or why? To this question, even Mrs. McCann could get no answer. Where was she when Captain Usher was killed? No answer. Was she with Captain Usher? She believed she was. Why or for what purpose was she with him? To this question, although pressed for some time, she would not answer, and Mrs. McCain, who was up to this time totally ignorant of the locality in which Usher had been killed, and was really unaware how it had come to pass that Feemy was present at the time, was quite unable to suggest to her what answer she ought to make, and finding that it was with difficulty she could keep Feemy from falling off her chair, she told the coroner she was really afraid Miss McDermott was so ill 
that she would be quite incapable of answering any more questions. And, she added, that considering all the circumstances of the case, that the young lady had been engaged to the unfortunate man who was dead, and was the sister of the man who had killed him. It was not to be wondered at if she found her dreadful position too much for her. The coroner answered that he was quite prepared to give Miss McDermott every indulgence in his power, as he felt strongly as any one could do the distressing situation in which the young lady was placed, but that it was absolutely imperative that the last question he had asked should be answered, and that he was sure when he stated that the result of the inquest very probably depended on what the answer to the question might be, as from that the jurors would probably have to decide whether her brother was to be accused of murder or merely homicide. He was quite sure, he said, under these circumstances, Miss McDermott would make an effort to answer it fully and firmly. He was willing, he added, to put the question in a form which might render it more simple for her to answer, though it would oblige him to say that which she feared would be still further distressing to her feelings. He then told her and Mrs. McCain that from the evidence of the servants it had appeared that she, Feemy, had agreed to elope with Captain Usher, and that as far as could be judged from the circumstantial evidence, she was, in fact, eloping with him when Thaddy had killed him. Now it was necessary for her to state whether she was there of her own good will going away with him, or if not, what she was doing at the moment of the tragical occurrence. After many fruitless attempts made by Mrs. McCann to get an answer to this, Feemy said through her friend that she was sitting down. Does she mean that she was sitting down when the blow was struck? She doesn't know where she was. When was she sitting down? She was sitting down till Captain Usher lifted her up. When Captain Usher lifted her up, was she going away willingly with him? Yes, she was. Did she struggle with him at all? No. Did any of her friends know she was going with him? Before, however, the poor girl could be got to answer this question, she had fainted, and it was found impossible to restore her for a long time, and when she had recovered, it was only to give way to the most distressing cries and historical shrieks. She threw herself on the floor of the bedroom to which she had been taken, and Mrs. McCain was afraid that she would have broken a blood vessel in the violence of her emotions. As it was, she was for a long time spitting blood, and fell from one fit into another, until the medical man, who was now with her, was afraid that she would become entirely delirious. It had long been found impossible to proceed with her examination any further. She had, however, unwittingly, and hardly knowing at the time what she was saying, given evidence against her brother, which the facts of the case did not warrant. For when Thaddy had first seen her, she was not going willingly with Usher. She had then fainted, and Usher had dragged her, apparently with violence, along the road. When it was found in the inquest room that Feemy McDermott could not possibly attend again, the coroner gave the jury the substance of the evidence on the case. He pointed out to them that though there could be no doubt that the young McDermott was the man by whom Captain Usher had been killed, still, if they thought there was sufficient ground for them to believe that Usher was ill-treating his sister— and that the brother had interfered on her behalf, they should not come to the decision that murder had been committed. The jury, after consulting for a short time, brought in a verdict of willful murder against Thaddeus McDermott, and accordingly a coroner's warrant was issued for his apprehension and trial, 
and was handed over to the police that they might lose no time in endeavouring to take him prisoner. End of section 28 The Coroner's Inquest